Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. The title of my sermon is pretty simple, Resurrection WWUD. WWUD. Normally, you'll hear that as WWJD, and we primarily know what that means. It means, what would Jesus do? But the sermon that I'm going to bring from an episode in the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is really primed for us to ask ourselves the question, what would you do? Now, WWJD, I kind of went to uh, Wikipedia and I looked this up, this WWJD came from Charles Sheldon. In the 1800s, he wrote a book that actually I read when I first chose to become a follower of Jesus, and that book was published in the 1800s. The title of the book was In His Steps, and the subtitle was What Would Jesus Do? Now, what's fascinating about that book is that Charles Sheldon was a pastor in the Midwest. The book was actually written off of a sermon series that he had done. And what was amazing about the book, though, is that he sent it to the publisher, but the publisher messed up the contract. And the copyright law and contract was never completely ironed out. And because of that, other publishers grabbed the book and they published it as well. And in order, because of that, they were able to publish it very, very inexpensively. And it wasn't long before over 30 million copies of that book sold worldwide. I want to encourage you that if you've never read the book, please get it, because to this day, it's still one of the top 50 best-selling books of all time. So that's where WWJD came from. But our question for us this morning through this sermon is, WWUD, what would you do? Now, as we move towards our text in the Gospel of Mark, I'm going to ask that you would help me by doing something. And that is this. I would like you to think about your favorite food. Your favorite food. Not only that, I want you to think about your favorite place to eat that food, and I want you to think about the people that you would choose to eat that food with. I really want you to do this. So favorite food, favorite place to eat that food, and who would be the people that you would choose to eat that meal with you? You know, I know that our kids watched the kids' church video this morning that Chris and Darcy put together, and it was awesome. It was a lot of fun to watch. But kids, if you're still watching, I think that you noticed that Miss Darcy was doing a lot of things wrong. She was putting her fingers in her ear, her eyes. She was touching her face. Those are the things we don't want to have happen during this season with this virus. But notice, though, that Pastor Chris made his favorite food. He made pizza with mustard and jam and syrup and chocolate syrup and all of those things. I think that was Pastor Chris's favorite food of all time. But remember, don't do what Miss Darcy did. Stay away from that as best you can. 
Now, when I think about kind of like my favorite food, sometimes I find myself thinking about certain places that I've been. And I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, and my favorite place to eat when I was a kid and when I think about Wisconsin was a place called Dog and Suds. It was a place that sold hot dogs and root beer. And what was really cool was that my older brother Fred worked there and he used to bring gallons of root beer home after he cleaned out the soda fountains that they had at Dog and Suds. But since then, I moved many places, but one of the places that I moved to was 21 years ago was Charlottesville. And my favorite place to eat that's inexpensive, I don't want to mention the expensive place, but the favorite place that I enjoy eating is Bodo's Bagels. Here's what I've found. The same is true for tons of people in Charlottesville. If there are people that I served as their pastor, maybe went to UVA, and they moved away and they come back into town, I'll get a text. Hey, Pete, are you free? I would love to grab lunch with you, and it's almost always Bodo's Bagels. Almost always. And I find myself there eating with them, and we share stories, and it's a ton of fun. But the reason why I asked you to think about your favorite food, the place you would want to eat it, and the people you would want to eat it with, that sets the context for what we're getting to read from the Gospel of Mark about this episode from the life of Jesus. Here we find that Jesus is eating with some people that love him dearly. But before we read our text, I want to give the biblical context for what we're getting ready to read. Jesus is going towards Jerusalem to die. He has been telling his disciples repeatedly that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he will be handed over, he'll be tortured, he's going to be crucified, and on the third day raised to new life. Each time Jesus tells his disciples this, there's pushback, either that or they ignore him and kind of draw back from what he's trying to explain. Not only this, though, is that as they're moving towards Jerusalem, they're going there for a specific purpose. It's Passover. And Passover is the primary celebratory feast of the Jewish faith. And Jesus and all of his disciples are Jewish. And so they're going to Passover, to, they're going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And as they're going there, they're going to go there to celebrate the feast that has specific spiritual, biblical, and historic meaning for the Jews. And it's this they were in bondage in Egypt, and many centuries earlier, before Jesus shows up on the scene, God delivers Israel from bondage from the Egyptian empire. In the midst of that, God does some incredible things. But what must be understood is that Jesus, as a rabbi, is leading his disciples to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. Because of this, and the historical meaning of Passover, the Roman Empire is on high alert. They're safely assuming that as the Jewish people who they are oppressing in Israel during the time of Jesus, as those people go to celebrate the deliverance of God, some of them may try to revolt. It would be a logical time for the Jewish people to try to throw off the heaviness of the Roman Empire. So the episode we're getting ready to read, 
we must understand that's kind of the biblical emotional arc of the story. Jesus is telling his disciples, going to Jerusalem to die. Rome is readying herself for a revolt, and they're ready to oppress and to crush any revolt that happens. There's tension in the air. So now we pick up our reading in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Here's what the gospel story tells us. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Just want to push the pause button. Notice what the Gospel of Mark tells us, that the people, the average Jewish person in Jerusalem, they love Jesus. They love his teaching. They love what he's been doing, the miracles he's been performing. But some, not all, but some of the religious leaders are now plotting in secret to find a way that they can arrest and have him executed, but not in front of the people. Because they know the people love Jesus, and they'll end up being a riot against their authority. Let's pick up our story. Verse 3. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume and made it made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume out on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. They rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me, and the poor will always be with you. You can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, What she has done will be told, will also be told in memory of her. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, and it's interesting in the Gospels, that's almost always what he's called. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over And then the heading of the next event in the Gospel of Mark, the Last Supper. The idea here is, is that Jesus has gathered with some people that he deeply loves. What we would notice earlier in the Gospels is that Jesus oftentimes got in trouble with who he ate with. There's a passage in Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 22, that explains this to us, and it tells us that Jesus eats at a tax collector's house. The gospel goes on to say in Mark 2, 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, 
in Jesus' day, he's a rabbi. And it's assumed that rabbis like Jesus would never eat with sinners. They would never be seen with them. And if they went into a home and they ate with sinners, they would become ceremonially unclean. And yet what we find is, is that Jesus is in the home of a tax collector, the most despised profession in Jesus' day among the Jewish people. The reason for that is, is that tax collectors in Jesus' day had betrayed Jerusalem and Israel and God by collecting money from the Jews for the Romans. And yet we see in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is not only eating with tax collectors and sinners, he's eating in the home of one. In the ancient world, at the time of Jesus, if someone invited you to eat a meal with them, it was a public declaration that you are in right relationship with them. So Jesus had gotten in trouble for some of the meals that he ate and the people he ate with. And now in our scripture, what we discover is, is that Jesus is now eating this meal in the home of Simon the leper. And the gospel tells us that they're there to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The mood, if you would recall, is dark. Rome is poised. Some of the religious leaders are plotting to kill Jesus. And he is announced to the people that he knows and loves he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. Mark 14.3 tells us that the home is the home of Simon the leper. We don't really know who Simon the leper is, but some of us believe that in Matthew chapter 8, it speaks of a guy who's healed of leprosy. Maybe it's his home. And could you imagine the meal that he had thrown for Jesus if Jesus had healed him of this deadly, debilitating, isolating disease called leprosy? Could you imagine the feast that Simon the leper would throw for dinner? Now, in the midst of that dinner, something crazy happens. No one expected it. No one would, had thought that it would ever happen. I want you to take a moment and think about maybe a meal that you were at where something absolutely crazy happened. It was unexpected. You couldn't believe it when you saw it. When you watched it, it almost seemed surreal. That's what happens in this context. Jesus is reclining at the table. Simon the leper, no doubt, is there. God has healed him. Jesus is there with his disciples and those that he deeply, deeply loves. And then out of nowhere, this woman goes over to Jesus. She breaks open a bottleneck, sort of a gooseneck bottle of perfume. She breaks it and she pours it on Jesus' head. What we know now in the text is that this woman came to the dinner prepared and determined to do this. She had pre-planned this. This isn't something that just happened as a knee-jerk reaction. She knew Jesus would be there. And because she knew he would be there, she was prepared to lavishly show her love and her affection for Jesus. What's interesting, though, is the response of some of the people in the room. 
The Gospel of Matthew, who tells the parallel tale to this one, informs us that when she pours this out, and Mark references this in verse 4, some of the people who are there ask the question, why the waste of this money? Why was this perfume wasted? This isn't what the perfume is for, and not only that, it was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't that perfume sold? And then the money given to the poor. But what strikes me is Jesus' response. Jesus' response to these people is to rebuke them. I ultimately wonder if what they're not trying to do by saying to Jesus, hey, Shouldn't this money have been sold and given to the poor? Isn't this act of worship that she's just done over you kind of extravagant? Shouldn't we have done this differently? And I think what they're trying to do in mentioning the poor is try to get Jesus on a topic that they know he cares about so they can link the extravagance of that expense over to him caring for the poor and loving the poor and in doing that kind of divert the whole context of what's happening. You know, I remember when I used to try and a buddy of mine who's still a friend, I've known him for 30 years, we would sit in this certain course in undergrad. We had a professor who we somehow found out he loved World War II. And so he would be talking about a certain, certain subject, and if we wanted to divert the attention of the class or try to get the topic to shift, I would look at my buddy across the room, we'd kind of nod each other, and we'd both raise our hand. And what you have to understand is this was a philosophy course. But in the middle of the course, we would both raise our hand, and he would call on us, or one of the two of us, and in the midst of that, we'd ask him a question about World War II, somehow weaving philosophy over to World War II, and everyone would kind of smile and lean back, because we knew the rest of the class would be about stories about World War II and the bravery of the people that were there, and it was kind of the way to derail the topic at hand and kind of relieve some of what was going on in the room. I have a sense that that's kind of what they were trying to do to Jesus. They viewed what she had done to Jesus as wasteful, but what's stunning is he called it beautiful. What she did, they said, was wasteful. He called it beautiful. And then he calls them on their distraction. He says to them in the gospel, he says, you can help them anytime you want. I think in that phrase, you can help them anytime you want. I think there's this underlying statement where Jesus is saying to those people, and by the way, Matthew tells us that the disciples were in on this critique of her. I think what Jesus was saying was, you know what, guys? I've seen a lot of poor people around. You could have helped them anytime you wanted, but you really weren't. You did it sometimes, but you, were, you weren't doing it often. And I think in Jesus' saying that, there's a rebuke of them. And I think the selfishness and the greed of their hearts is being laid bare. The other thing that stuns me is Jesus says of her, she did what she could. I love that. Jesus says of this woman, what she did was beautiful, and she did what she could. They called it wasteful. He called it beautiful. 
he says of her, she did what she could. And then he takes that act that she has done to him in worship. And here's what he proclaims. She did this to prepare my body for burial. Jesus sees in the midst of her action something that no one else in the room could see. Jesus announces again, I'm going to Jerusalem and die. And then he speaks of her in verses 8 and 9. He says, wherever the gospel is preached, this episode will be shared in memory of her. And it's true. We're still speaking of this episode today. But what the next thing is in this gospel is stunning. There's this beautiful act of worship on Jesus. In the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a difficult time, in the midst of unspeakable harshness and cruelty, being under the Roman Empire, Jesus constantly mentioning he's going to Jerusalem and die. This woman kind of breaks through all of that crisis and proclaims her worship to Jesus. And it's beautiful, and it's pure, and it's precious, and it's meaningful. But what happens next, again, is stunning. Verse number 10 tells us, Then Judas Iscariot. Judas is in the room. He's one of the disciples. He sees the beautiful act of worship that she gives. He hears how Jesus interprets that act of worship. And verse 10 says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. You see, this is Sunday when Jesus is anointed. By Wednesday, Judas will betray Jesus at night with a kiss. The transition that we need to see in this gospel, though, is to call us into the story. We go from this woman who does something out of a pure, beautiful, generous heart of worship towards Jesus in the midst of the crisis. But G Judas looks at that and he thinks to himself, oh my goodness, Jesus did not rebuke her. He received it. It blew Judas's mind. And the other thing that happens in that moment is Judas looks, he hears what Jesus says. Jesus still says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. And when Judas looks at that beautiful act of worship, he makes his decision right then. And his decision is to betray Jesus. The Gospels are written more often than not where you will see one character presented and then another. One character presented and then another. And the gospel writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit want us to step into the story and to see the contrast. What she does is beautiful and generous and self-sacrificial. What Judas does in the midst of this crisis is he decides that he's going to do everything for himself. And the gospel tells us, as we just read, that Judas goes to the religious leaders. Jesus and all of his disciples know about their angst and their desire to kill Jesus. And so he, 
after seeing this woman doing what she's done, he decides, now's my chance. If I'm ever going to do this, I need to go now because Jesus is actually going to follow through with this call in his life to lay down his life for others. What a contrast. What a stunning contrast. But what else is stunning is that the next title is the Last Supper. So picture what has happened. We've got this woman who with generosity and love has poured out her worship on Jesus. Judas, one of the disciples, sees that and says, if this is the way Jesus is going to move his life, I want out. And he exits. But then the next episode in the Gospel of Mark is the Last Supper. What's amazing to me is Judas attends the Last Supper. He's there to celebrate the Passover with Jesus. What a contrast between what she does and what Judas does. Well, we're now going to begin to move towards communion in the Eucharist, and we're going to celebrate communion together. But as we put feet to our faith as a church family, the question has to be, what would you do? What would you do in the face of the episode that we just read? Would we be the type of people that in the midst of crisis no longer focus on ourselves because Jesus is in the room and we push towards him and we worship him and there's generosity towards him? Or in the midst of the crisis, do we back up? Do we turtle up? and defend ourselves and say, it is time for me to make sure that I secure what is mine. So the question has to be, will I be like her or will I be like him? And it's not lost on any of us that the hero in this contrast is a woman. It's not a man. There's this sense in all of the Gospels where women are being elevated as followers of Jesus Christ. But then, what we move into now is what's known as the Last Supper. It's where Jesus gathers with his disciples, with those that he loves, and they're going to break bread. They're going to drink of the cup. and They're going to eat this meal together. I believe that Jesus is in the room where he really wants to be. He's eating the meal that is one of his favorite meals of all times. And he's there with his favorite people to eat it. That they are now gathering together and they're going to celebrate again that annual feast of Passover. They're going to celebrate the fact that God sets his people free. That God is a deliverer. And here's Jesus as their rabbi, as their teacher, and he's going to officiate this Passover meal. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 24 tells us about that Last Supper. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then the scripture declares that then he took the cup and when he given thanks, he gave it to them 
and they all drank from it. Then he gives a little bit of commentary at the end. He says, this is my blood in the new covenant, which is poured out for many. And this is what he said to them. I want to encourage all of us who are watching to take communion. I'm going to ask that all of us would celebrate the Eucharist together. You might be a person that's saying, well, I'm not sure if I would be welcome to do that. And scripture tells us that what we're supposed to do is examine our hearts to prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. And so what I want to ask for you to do is take a brief moment before we drink of the cup, before we eat the bread, that you would examine your heart before the Lord. And if there's anything in your heart that God prompts, and maybe this is the question to ask, has the compass of my heart during this crisis led towards this kind of this unnamed woman? Or has the compass of my heart been more like Judas? Which way has that gone? And then ask for God's forgiveness if we need it. Ask him to help us to be people that respond with worship and with beauty and love and kindness and generosity like she did. Help God to forgive us for maybe those Judas moments where we knew that we were choosing to move away from God's best and from the person of Jesus. Let's take a moment for the Spirit of God to examine our hearts. God, we ask you that through the present working of your Spirit, that you would take this moment and you would fill not just the rooms that we're in, but most importantly, that you would fill our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to us if there's anything that is outside of your best for us. God, if we have stepped more towards Judas than we have this unnamed woman, I pray that in this moment we would repent of that, we would confess that, and we would choose to follow you. Lord, I pray this, and I believe for it in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Again, the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus took the bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. Let's give thanks. Jesus, we thank you for your broken body. We thank you that you were fully human. We thank you that you stepped into this world so that you would experience the fullness of the human experience and to not leapfrog over suffering, but you step straight into it and straight through it. We thank you that you were human. We thank you for your broken body. And in that, we know that you know what it's like to step in and through human crisis. God, thank you in this moment that as we eat this bread, we know that in Christ, we are together and we are also with you. Let's partake together. The scriptures say that in the same manner Jesus took the cup. After giving thanks, they drank from the cup together. Let's take a moment to give thanks. Jesus, we thank you so much for your shed blood. We know through it and through faith in you, all of our sins are not just removed, they're eternally extinguished from our lives. So Jesus, thank you for the full work of your shed blood on the cross for us. 
we accept it, we trust it, and we believe in it. So as we drink this cup now, we do so as a community, as a church family, as a group that has gathered again around the shed blood of Jesus. Let's drink together. We're gonna take a few more moments to worship and then I'll return for the pastoral blessing. God bless.